This podcast is brought to you in part by Specialties. Are you in a band that wants merch, but you're not sure where to go? Are you looking for great quality and affordable pricing? Do you have a design that you'd like to put on a koozie for your favorite consumable beverage? How about office swag for your job or giveaway items for your events? Okay, you get the point. Look no further than special tees for all of your heart's printing desires. This is not my magnum opus listeners can act now and get 10% off your first order if you tell them could be better sent you. Visit their website at www.special-tees.com or use the link in the show notes to get the conversation started. You can even call ahead and visit their showroom to see the types of products they offer. Again, telling them could be better sent you via email, phone call, or carrier pigeon will get you that 10% off your first order. That's special-tees.com. Special Tees. If you haven't worked with them, they want to work with you. This is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be a part of the Could Be Better podcast network. We're passionate about creating and using these platforms to dive into topics such as exploring lo-fi, impulsive, small, and otherwise overlooked artworks and creative practices, what happened in the world this week and how to laugh through or at it, and hearing stories from musicians from all walks of life. Check out these podcasts, Could Be Better, This Is Not My Magnum Opus, and The Weekly with Kiki, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit couldbebettermeh.com slash podcasts in the show notes to see the current shows on the Could Be Better podcast network. Come join us as we discover more about ourselves, the community around us, and maybe even something worth sharing. Or not. Now, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to This Is Not My Magnum Opus, a podcast about small and lo-fi artworks, creative practice, and what it means to be an artist. I'm your host, Nicole Ringel, and I'm here with my partner and producer, Spencer Newcomb. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Spencer. How you doing over there on that <laughs> side of the couch? This side of the couch is pretty good. How about oh, good, yours? Good, good, good. This side's pretty comfy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if this is your first time joining us on the podcast, um, each week we talk with an, a different artist about a not magnum opus or a small artwork um, as a way to witness and discuss kind of the building blocks of their creative practice and their relationship to making. Yes, so um, uh, who are we talking to this week? So this week we have a conversation I had with Virginia Warwick. Um, this one is a real treat. I can confidently say that Virginia Warwick's performance art is one of a kind. Yeah, It's kind of got uh, a really nice interplay of absurdity deadpan dark humor Mm -hmm. animals um (laughs) connection to nature and also just you know the most raw pieces of what it means to be a human (laughs) um so it's got a lot of different dynamics at play and Virginia is um just a truly like I said one of a kind person um so it was a treat to be able to talk to her um a few weeks ago yeah in this conversation so tell us a little bit more about virginia like where she based what mediums does she work with i know we're talking about performance art with her this week but she does a lot more than that right yeah so uh virginia is from frederick um she'll tell us a little bit about her background here but she actually uh she got her bfa from college park and then went on to get her mfa at the reinhardt school of sculpture uh at mica And that's really where, um, you know, a lot of the um, performance art that we'll talk about came to be. Mm -hmm. But, you know, her practice kind of 
spans a lot of different mediums. Uh, she's a teacher. She's done painting, sculpture, uh, and performance art. So she kind of blends a lot together in her practice. But I'm really excited that we got to talk about her performance art because it really is a through line in a lot of what she does. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, her not magnum opus that we're going to be talking about this week is uh, her performance as Olivia the Sea Turtle. Yeah, so Olivia the Sea Turtle um, is kind of a heartbroken, (laughs) sad little turtle um, who, yeah, Virginia made a sea turtle costume that she kind of dons to become (laughs) uh, Olivia. And then, you know, she'll get up on stage and just kind of um, recite a monologue Mm -hmm. that tells the story of Olivia. And rather than us telling you exactly what Olivia said. Um, Spencer here has so kindly um, clipped together a few star moments yes. <laughs> from from Olivia. So um, we'll let that play now. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would like to thank Ben for having me, but I'm a little confused because I keep getting invited to all these comedy nights and I want to tell my story in all seriousness. My name is Olivia the Sea Turtle, and I'm from the ocean. And I've been through a lot. (laughs) I arrived on shore about six years ago. And previous to that, I was married to someone very famous, Ariel the Mermaid. I've been having a rough time adjusting, and to express my feelings, I've uh, started writing some diary entries. So I would like to share some of them with you tonight. I don't know how you could hurt someone so badly. It's hard to believe that I've been on shore for nearly six years, but I'm still feeling the heartache. I still get angry at her. She didn't treat me like a mermaid should treat a sea turtle. I've been having such trouble making friends. I don't get it. I'll meet someone, we'll hang out, and then I never hear from them again. And this this hasn't happened just once, multiple times. I feel like I'm good at meeting people and then I screw it up. Maybe I disclose too much information or I'm too forward, but I can't help it. Well, so I had a 
absurdity, <laughs> cathartic karaoke. Vulnerability. <laughs> She's got it all. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's not something that you'll see every day, but that's kind of like the fun of it. And um, I, I know that she enjoys inhabiting like kind of like this whimsical, you know, absurd space. Mm-hmm. Uh, very aware of that and, and kind of uses it to make folks, you know, more uncomfortable um, questioning how we think about things. Mm-hmm. It's a, it is a cool way of prompting you to like get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, she uses like this really whimsical energy as a way to like break out of, you know, the convention of social dynamics mm-hmm. and what we're used to. Um, right. In what other instance will you hear a sea turtle talk about like their interpersonal, you know, marital relationships? <laughs> right. And she owns it. Yeah. Like Virginia like owns that energy yeah. and she really gets a thrill off of it. Yes. Um, and it was so fun to be able to talk to her about that because yeah. um, I have been able to see her perform in different places. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like every time... Um, or at least the first couple of times that I saw her um, perform like karaoke or at at different um, performance art workshops, you know, there's always a kind of like looking around to see like, like what's going on here? (laughs) Like, is this really happening? Yeah. (laughs) Because it's just not expected. Right. Which is, it's fun. Like it it, it is um, a cool way of asking people like, yeah, what do you do with that uncomfortable feeling? Um, how are yeah how are you going to interpret what's happening on stage um and like you know for folks who enjoy like anti-comedy or like that deadpan style like she dabbles in in stand-up as well mm-hmm. um which it just yeah it just it fits like she, i find her so endearing mm-hmm. um and and funny like i i thoroughly enjoy i think she even like relays she does at a certain point like she's done stand-up where she just I think says premises and there is no punchline. Right. And it really is just something for her that she finds thrilling um, and funny that there are, she can tell jokes. There's mm-hmm. no punchline. And at it's a certain just the delivery. Yeah. And at a certain point, folks are laughing, but it's not because there's any punchline. Mm-hmm. Like she got a real thrill out of that. It's, it's, yeah. Again, I find, I find her very endearing. Yeah. That and like, her capacity to just really build a world in a story mm-hmm. that you can kind of just like jump into. Like in the conversation, I made a comparison to, uh, you know, a children's book reading at a library right. where the librarian might dress up as a character in the book to like, you know, teach kids about, you know, the moral of the story or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and it's funny to be an adult and be put back in this situation right. with completely different, like probably not family friendly content. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a similar kind of setup of like this character telling a story of things that are relatable and kind of being brought along this story um, to, you know, hold space for you know, experiences that so many of us share. Yeah. As like, as far as like performance art goes, I think that what she's doing, it, I don't know, it, it works for me um, with it being um, vulnerable and emotional and also uh, silly. Um, it's just an easy on ramp. I think that I might struggle personally with uh, performance art. Um in some context. In some context, yeah. Um, but again, this is, I think that she's a perfect on-ramp for me. Um, you know, being a musician, like she she says in the interview, like her husband is all, is, is a musician and, and they play music together and they just have different, 
they think about performing or performance very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, that hits for me uh, as, as a musician and performer. Like, um, she's just so good and she, she, she's just comfortable. Like, she's, she's mm-hmm. good in, in moments where the heat's on and you got to perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thrives on it. She thrives on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, um, I applaud her. I enjoy it, you know. So with that, I think um, we can get right into it. Yeah. Um, as always, you can check out Virginia's work on the This Is Not My Magnum Opus Instagram. Uh, or um, we have a couple of links to her work in the show notes this week. Um, both a link to her website and a couple of links to uh, YouTube videos of Olivia the Sea Turtle in action. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Virginia Warwick. Hello, Virginia. Hi, Nicole. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty well. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, It's bright and early on a Friday morning, and you made your way down here um, to the studio in downtown Baltimore, so uh, I really appreciate you making the time to talk. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Awesome. So uh, the way that we usually start all of these conversations is to kind of um, ground ourselves in your origins as an artist. So uh, my first question for you is, um, what was the first time that you felt like you were or wanted to be an artist? I would say when I was like a little girl, I, I would say between the ages of like, I don't know, eight and 10, I thought to myself, I want to be a famous artist. And it hasn't been that easy, turns out, to become mm-hmm. a famous artist. <laughs> uh-huh. It was kind of a whimsical, uh, dream-like mm. When you thought. imagined fame, like what did that look like? Oh, yeah. I just thought of having my pieces, like all of my... What, at that time, as a little girl, I was doing like ladybug um paintings and Mm -hmm. I thought oh those are going to be in museums yeah and um I'm gonna I'm gonna have like people buying my artwork and I'm gonna be known Mm -hmm. as a person and where was this where did you grow up oh well I grew up on two and a half acres Mm. um in Imesville Maryland Mm -hmm. uh I guess that's in Frederick County and we grew up um, across from a cow pasture as well. Mm. And so I was surrounded by nature throughout my elementary years. Mm-hmm. And that really influenced my art making because we had so many pets, like everything from ducks to quails to guinea pigs to gerbils, dogs, Whoa. parrots. Oh my gosh, all at once. Sometimes, yes. Wow, that's amazing. Do you still have a lot of pets? No, actually, I have no pets right now, which is a little depressing, but that's because of circumstances and situations. Mm. Um, living in a small apartment in Baltimore City, mm-hmm. um, where uh, me and my husband travel, and it's kind of more difficult to have pets mm-hmm. at a large scale. For sure. So, okay, so zooming back to your um, 
your childhood growing up with with lots of animals you said that those were uh an inspiration for you did you have like a favorite animal um, oh yeah pet growing up oh yeah my pet duck squeaky was like my best friend squeaky is a perfect name for a duck <laughs> yes and we were best friends and it was a very traumatic end because um he had to be put to sleep because he broke his leg. Oh no. So that was that was very traumatic for me. Mm. And so but then I got another duck named Brownie. <laughs> she was brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh eventually she got lost as well. You know, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um so it was a real kind of uh lesson on life and death mm-hmm. growing up as a child um but I have really good memories like being with my my friends mm. the animals the around, animals yeah. mm-hmm. um so to kind of bridge the gap between that um you know kind of like formative memory and um you know, where you're at now. I know we've talked before about um, your experiences in like high school talent shows and kind of like bringing those very like intimate experiences with um, like the pets that were so close to you, like breaking out of that space into a more like social space where you're Mm -hmm. kind of playing with social dynamics. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So then... Fast forward to high school, I entered the talent show and Mm -hmm. I was practicing my my bit and at that time we had moved to um, uh, off of, we had another house but it was like an acre of land and so we still had animals but not to the large scale as previously and so I was practicing my bit. I vividly remember practicing my bit in the front yard and my dad watching me. And later on, he admitted he was very concerned <laughs> that it wouldn't be received well. Mm-hmm. And he was being very protective, like out of concern. Mm-hmm. And But he didn't stop me. Mm-hmm. But he was very nervous, much more nervous than I was. And he mm-hmm. admitted this years later. Mm-hmm. And But then, turns out, the talent show was a huge success. And I won first place in the unique category. Amazing. And what I did was, I did trick sticks or devil sticks to a song by a band called That Dog. And... Um, I dressed up in like tie dye outfit and mm-hmm. danced around and it was very whimsical. And um, I remember I have a vivid memory of coming out from backstage and all like the popular kids sitting on the, the um, stage were waiting for me. And they all cheered me on. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that amazing. was a nice memory. Amazing. Yeah, I think that there's a lot um, like in your practice of like using kind of mundane or well-known things, but just kind of switching them around a little bit to be very uncanny. And I can just like imagine your like experience at the um, 
the talent show or your performance in the talent show just like kind of shock and awing? <laughs> yes, I have a lot of passion when I perform. And I think that translates to every performance I've ever done in my life. Mm. Well, maybe that's a good segue into introducing us to your not magnum opus that you have um, to share with us today, um, your character and performance, Olivia the Sea Turtle. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so when I was in grad school at Reinhardt School of Sculpture at MICA, I don't know. It just, it, it came very naturally and evolved very naturally, the idea of a sea turtle, mm -hmm. because I think sea turtles are kind of personified. They kind of look in their face. They have a gentle appearance mm -hmm. and kind of animated and person-like in some ways, mm. gentle and slow and and some attributes that I really like in animals and mm. in people too. Mm. And so I made a costume out of felt, foam, hot glue, and kept that costume for about eight to 10 years and mm. performed as Olivia the sea turtle and created an entire narrative around Olivia where she was married to Ariel the mermaid. Mm -hmm. um, Ariel cheated on Olivia because um, Ariel wanted to be with a merman. Mm -hmm. And it was a narrative all about how Olivia then after Ariel cheated on her, she decided to meet up with a... a a man, a human man, mm -hmm. and switch teams, as they say, <laughs> from, uh, you know, in sexual terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, now explored her life on land mm -hmm. as a sea turtle with a boyfriend. So, um just to kind of like paint the picture for folks that are listening like <laughs> the way that you perform this is you like don this costume that is so you become the sea turtle and then you actually just stand on stage and kind of read this narrative that's also kind of like a journal entry exactly um, it's a really um vulnerable and intimate picture into this sea turtles like very um uh, warm heart full of love <laughs> that's like a little bit like misguided in some um, moments but then also very earnestly like seeking connection and I think you have this connection with animals that uh, you know kind of poke at human experiences and like real human emotions but in this kind of whimsical way mm -hmm. and so I'm curious if you can tell us a little bit about how you think about human and animal connections and kind of um, how animals um, kind of help you express, you know, the uh, ideas in your creative practice. Uh, yeah, kind of like how animals are a vehicle in some ways um, to express my creative practice. And I think that's the best way to put it is that they're a vehicle um, to express myself. I think I 
what's the word anthropomorphize anthropomorphize yes i have trouble pronouncing that word but (laughs) i do that to the animals attach human characteristics to the animals and it's almost like a vice versa mm-hmm. kind of situation. Yeah, like it's so surreal to listen to, um, you know, Olivia the sea turtle talk about being heartbroken from Ariel. But at the same time, it's an experience that, you know. I've had. Yeah, and, you know, many, many adults people. have had, you know. Yeah, so I have, I kind of strive for people to make that connection, not only with my artwork, not only for me to make my connection to animals, but for people and viewers to make a connection to the animals via human experience. Mm-hmm. So in that fashion, it's kind of like, oh, I can emphasize with animals in the same way I can emphasize with my emph- em- emphasize Yes, that's a word with with myself. And then the animals are kind of elevated to a human level Mm -hmm. and respected, hopefully, in a different light. Mm -hmm. And is that how you see animals in the world in your experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. I was a vegetarian for seven years. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I started craving meat. Mm. And so I have this weird kind of relationship with meat and animals because I crave meat and I currently eat meat, but I have this guilt around it too mm. because I love animals so much. Oh, so that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, yeah. In, in any case, I definitely see animals as so animated that they empower humans just like the humans empower animals. Mm-hmm. And I think like the Olivia the sea turtle character, uh, as I was watching your performance, I was reminded of at a library how there might be a kind of book reading for kids where uh someone might be dressed up as a character in the book to kind of animate the book for for children and as I was listening to this like kind of intense narrative about heartbreak and cheating like relationships and then like uh the sea turtle like trying to find like space for herself in a world that's unfamiliar. I was just reminded of a lot of, um, you know, stories that are told to children um, in this format that feels very, um, yeah, not educational, but just, yeah, reminded me of elementary school um, in a lot of ways, but with this kind of heavier weight to it, and yeah, it's interesting the role that like kind of becoming an animal can um, kind of be a catalyst for like the viewer being able to inhabit a space of listening. Yeah, I think there's definitely a element of dark humor embedded in all the performances at the same time, coupled with like that childlike kind mm-hmm. of element. Mm-hmm that kind of mixes together to form something kind of questionable in a way because they don't complement each other necessarily, Mm -hmm. but they 
mix together in the performance. Yeah, with this like deadpan delivery that's just exactly. like unapologetic and like laying it out there. This is what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I know that like element of um, kind of being a jokester or that deadpan delivery kind of like has currents in so many facets of your life. And I'm curious to hear you kind of speak to the role that deadpan humor plays like as a vehicle in your practice. Yeah. So lately, so I did Olivia for about 10 years and then kind of almost retired her but I still have the costume so she may come out retirement one day (laughs) and um lately I I kind of after that I kind of moved up to stand-up comedy but Mm. stand-up comedy in a way that's not so typical in the fashion that and in the way that there's no punchlines so it's very mm-hmm. deadpan in the same way Olivia's presentation has been. Mm-hmm. And I recently had a gig at a record store in Baltimore at True Vine Records. And I've been playing drums as well. And I introduced the act by introducing some kind of like sassy jokes but without punchlines. And so mm-hmm. everyone was very confused. And, um, but I enjoyed it. I'm curious uh, also because that, um, the element of the audience being confused and you kind of being the uh, conductor of this experience that includes confusion and experiences that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable for the people around you. Like, I wonder, um, like how that feels for you as the performer, like as that's unfolding, like, like, uh, could you like walk us through what, yeah, yeah what that's like? I kind of thrive in it, to be honest, mm-hmm. because it's like entertaining for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. This mm-hmm. is so funny. <laughs> um, but I have the passion. So after maybe five minutes of a comedy act, I then start to get some laughs and they're Mm -hmm. not laughing at a punchline. They're just laughing at the delivery. Mm -hmm. And then in the instance of the gig I had at True Vine, I moved on to playing drums. I just said, segue time, drums. (laughs) And um, I segue to drums and I'm a beginning drummer. So I'm not that talented necessarily with drums but I have a lot of passion and after the act someone came up to me and said how long have you been playing drums for so Mm -hmm. that was an indication to me that maybe I kind of look like I know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but in reality I've never had a drum lesson Mm -hmm. so I'm curious like that's like a prank (laughs) yeah um yeah, to me, that uh, that kind of playfulness just kind of pokes at like the kind of absurd possibility of every moment, right? Like kind of like reminding, um, I feel like, uh, yeah, listening to and watching you as Olivia the sea turtle wrote, kind of like was a reminder to me of like how much is possible in like both like what you say and how you act um, and yeah, like how you interact with the world every day. I also want to mention that like 
embedding humor in all of my artwork, I feel like, not only in Olivia, but stand-up comedy, but and drums and performance and even a little bit of dark humor in my like sculptural pieces um it's like a escape too uh for myself mm. um and i've always been like a jokester or a prankster or a funny person mm -hmm. but it's almost like a shield um because I've always had trouble with like uh, my mood. And mm. so I can escape into this alter personalities like Olivia and really enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, that image because so many, um, so many folks have trouble in their creative practice or like making is kind of like a fraught activity if you're you know um like trying to achieve something that isn't working and then other folks have this relationship with making that is totally like restorative and kind of mm -hmm. um you know like kind of like rebuilding <laughs> um confidence or expression and that sort of thing um yeah I'm also interested uh you mentioned your uh, your sculpture practice. And I'm curious, uh, so some of your sculptures totally, um, like are, uh, an object for a performance and are totally like kind of embedded in that performance practice. And then other sculptures are kind of, um, like standalone. Um, so I'm curious if you want to talk to us a little bit about like the materials you use in your sculpture and kind of the role that it serves in your practice um, that maybe performance doesn't totally achieve. Right, right. So with the materials, a lot of the materials are very like eye-catching, like they're bright in my paintings, they're very bright colors. And the sculptures, they're also like vibrant colors. And even, I even use like a lot of party streamers, like, um, and shiny materials that maybe a raven, a bird might be attracted to, but mm. humans are too. Mm -hmm. And, um, but at the same time, these materials, these plastics and wire and party streamers and oil paint are all detrimental to the environment. Mm -hmm. And... It's this idea of coupling this like, oh, that looks nice. I would like to have that. And then coupled with this idea, oh my gosh, that's like not good. Mm -hmm. That's not good for the environment. And it has the environmental themes behind the work, the mm -hmm. nature themes that are coupled with something that's like harmful to itself. It's almost like a microcosm of like going to Target or any big store where like you get this like flashy packaging of a thing that is, you know, um, being marketed towards you and it looks, you know, appealing. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, under the surface that actually being detrimental to the environment that we live in. Yeah, yeah. And I, I still think about the materials more and more and exploring this idea because I feel like um, with my performance, it's a little more clear cut in my head, in my mind, my practice. 
but I'm still exploring the idea of materials, whether they're found, bought, or a combination of the two in the piece. And I think that is really important to kind of explore more of. Mm. Could you give us an example? Yeah. So for instance, one piece, um, I have, uh, it's like a five foot tall, maybe six foot tall painting that's a little narrow, maybe two feet wide. And it kind of reminds me of the shape of a coffin. And it's covered with plastic and on the painting in the subject matter are bugs and animals and sea anemones. Mm-hmm. And it's this is a funny story about this piece because it's covered with p- drop cloth plastic and the title of the piece is Nature's Funeral. And it's a little dark. Mm-hmm. And as far as the materials are concerned, I bought the drop cloth. So it's I'm still trying to figure out like is it better quote quote better to use found materials which i sometimes do in some of the uh three-dimensional wall hanging pieces Mm -hmm. or buy something and i think that kind of makes a note to like economic um kind Mm -hmm. of like economic needs Mm mm-hmm and the culture that we're in of like buying materials to use mm-hmm. that are detrimental that we need versus something that's found. Mm-hmm. And um, the funny story about that piece is um, it was exhibited at a VizArts faculty show in Rockville. Mm-hmm. And one of the assistant curators didn't know the plastic was part of the piece. She thought it was a protective um, element to Mm. the piece. And she started taking it off and realized, oh my gosh, this is part of the piece. And I had to go and repair it. But that was interesting in itself. Like something that protects versus which is part of. Mm, and I mm-hmm. found that to be an experiment on its own. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like there's a, a few funny stories um, along the way of like, yeah, art being mistaken for, for trash at different junctures. I've had a few experiences of that myself. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. I had a sculpture with eraser shavings that um, got like swept up you and thrown this. away um, in my studio one time, but uh yeah. Okay, so I think we're um, running pretty close to our ideal time frame, um, oh. but I'll just wrap it up with uh, kind of my last question, which is um, having to do with kind of your alter ego as a squirrel. And I wonder if you could uh, introduce us to your kind of squirrel side and maybe um, if there's, you know, an intersection or evolution from Olivia to Squirrel or if they kind of existed simultaneously or um, if one kind of morphed into the other. So it was first the Squirrel that evolved but Mm. then they overlapped a lot. Once I became Olivia 
once I became Olivia, a sea turtle, mm-hmm. um, I still explored the squirrel at the same time. And the squirrel doesn't have a name. The squirrel is just kind of all squirrels combined. Mm. And this is how it happened. <laughs> so I was at undergrad at College Park and I noticed there were a lot of dead squirrels on campus and I think they were eating rat poison. Mm. That's what I was guessing. So I felt a lot of empathy for the squirrels. Mm-hmm. And in my head at the time, I thought, well, the best way to honor these squirrels which so they don't decay in the public is to collect them put them in my freezer and um, make custom-made coffins to the shape of their bodies and have burial ceremonies in the church behind University of Maryland. Wow. Did you have a roommate at the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> How did that go I over? I had uh, three other roommates, and we would have... It was a party house, actually. And word got out that there were dead squirrels in the freezer. And actually, one party, um, a friend of mine brought the squirrel out. And that, I didn't like that. Wow. But you know what? I bet that squirrel didn't like being in the freezer in (laughs) retrospect. And anyway, so I did that. And um, from there, I kind of developed a narrative about squirrels about um a squirrel let's see this was a while ago so i'm trying to recap a little but basically the squirrel's mother was killed by a chainsaw man cutting down the tree Mm. and the squirrel was seeking revenge so i was in a band around the same time i was collecting the squirrels called reincarnated squirrel and we performed at my thesis exhibition at College Park in the atrium. Mm. And it was a rock heavy kind of grunge band. And I was a singer and I dressed as a squirrel and I built a tree for the show that was about eight feet tall. And I climbed up inside the tree and poked my head out and I and with the mic, I said, where's my nuts? <laughs> and then we did songs based on the reincarnated squirrel, this revenge that the squirrel was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And at one point during the performance, I killed someone in the audience. So there's a little bit, that's, that's the dark humor that's really highlighted in that performance, mm. the darkness. Mm-hmm. And I kind of enjoy using, and I have since then using fake blood because I'm kind of fascinated by that. I mm. was in a band called Double Trouble in Frederick and it was an improvised band. And at one show, we decided to all dress in black and put fake blood dr- kind of dripping out of our mouths. And everyone in the audience were like concerned and mm. kind of thought, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And I kind of enjoyed that, similar to how I do my comedy and Olivia, this like uncomfortableness mm-hmm. that is kind of radiating from 
the crowd yeah and like so much of your work you're actually like a kind of like conductor of the absurd like you're a role but then there's other people involved as well like in playing in bands in like the um talent show performance that you mentioned at the top right like Mm -hmm. um kind of involving other people and like there's just so like the like wacky element of like so much of what you do um and kind of making people uncomfortable and like creating this space where people don't really know what's going on (laughs) you know it's unfamiliar I'm curious like the trajectory of going from yeah the kind of like internal like whimsical world of like constructing these narratives and then bridging that to not only share it with an audience, but work with, you know, the audience member that was in on it at the squirrel performance that you staged, Mm -hmm. like, the murder of, right? Like, that, like, yeah, the the process of that, and was there, like, a learning curve for you in kind of um, bringing that into reality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my approach, like, in life and with artistic practice is just do it. Like, just dive in and see mm-hmm. what happens. And um, my my husband, he, him and I are now playing music together. And he has a different approach with music where he likes to plan things out, rehearse, not improvise, and do like a planned set. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, let's just do it. Come on, mm-hmm. let's let's just get this sound going and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, so has it been that way since the beginning of like kind let's of just orchestrating these performances? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, to bring it back to okay, so that was the first uh, iteration of the the squirrel in performance um how has it evolved over time oh well now i kind of quote quote grew out of my squirrel costume Mm. so (laughs) i have the squirrel headdress still so i do little videos and performances just with the headdress like playing drums or an instagram or facebook or wearing it just like as a little tidbit of a video on social media Mm -hmm. and I've enjoyed that Mm -hmm. yeah nice so it's just kind of like a um side note kind of yeah yeah amazing well um thank you so much for joining me today um to talk about your practice um it was really lovely to hear more about uh what interests you as an artist and kind of the origins of what you do oh thank you Nicole this was so much fun for images and links to the artwork we discuss on the show follow us on instagram at this is not my magnum opus subscribe to us on apple podcasts or follow us on spotify you can also leave us a rating or add a review we'd love to hear your thoughts music for this podcast was written and performed by frederick's resident shoegaze band tv that's t-e-e-v-e-e period This Is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be part of the Could Be Better podcast network. Executive produced by Chris Perry and Colin McGuire of Could Be Better. This show is made possible by a Maryland State Arts Council creativity grant. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.
Do you like change? Do you love the familiar smells of your bedroom studio? Listen no further, friends, because the Could Be Better podcast is back and as disappointing as ever. Indeed, Chris, this season we are changing almost absolutely nothing. The show will drop on Thursdays and we hope to include guests. We'll also shamelessly plug any and all events of which we are part. So like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website, www.couldbebettermeh.com or let's pretend this never happened. I know I will. Me too. And do not forget this could be better.